morning we're continuing a series of messages, messages on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. He's writing this letter from prison. And uh, this morning we're going to begin at chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. <clears throat> It's hard to imagine how difficult it must have been for the Apostle Paul to find himself in prison. For a traveling apostle who's anxious to share the good news with everybody, who's out to plant churches and to encourage new believers, it must have been very hard for him to be caged like an animal. How could he possibly carry on his work in prison, in his chains? He's under the jurisdiction of the palace guard, also known as the Praetorian Guard. They were hand-picked members of Caesar's own elite bodyguard. And there were something like 10,000 of them spread around Rome and throughout the empire. In practice, the Praetorian Guard wielded a lot of power. They could make or break Caesar's. If you lost support of the Praetorian Guard, then you could very well lose your throne which is exactly what happened to the madman Caligula when he was assassinated by his own guard in 41 AD after a, a sporting event. Though prison conditions may have been slightly better than the prison that uh, he had been uh, residing in in Philippi, the, uh, the, the, uh, it, well, it couldn't have been uh, very pleasant. He may well have been chained to a guard 24-7. He couldn't sleep. 
in privacy, couldn't go to the bathroom in privacy. It was very demeaning and demoralizing. The chains that he wore must have just you know, chafed at his hands and, and his arms, causing blisters. He knew very well that uh, the Romans could execute him. Add to this the fact that, mentioned by Paul, is that there were preachers who were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. These preachers were preaching Christ with less than pure motives. Maybe they were jealous of Paul. They wanted to be more in the spotlight because it was all about them, and so they were glad that uh, Paul was in prison, and maybe they were mocking Paul as they were preaching about Jesus. But anyway, there was potential for division in the church, and I'm sure that was cause for concern. In any case, Paul's adversity could very well have defeated him. I mean, he could have just been so discouraged could have thrown up his hands and say, you know, woe is me, I'm lost. You know, he may well have felt defeated. He could have felt like you and I sometimes do, that, you know, we, we uh, feel sorry for ourselves and we wonder how God could possibly allow this to happen. That may have been the case with the Apostle Paul. I mean, it could have been. I mean, here he was. All he was trying to do was to pursue God's call in his life and to do God's will. And here he was in prison. We can imagine Paul saying, well, I don't deserve this. Well, I mean, do you ever feel that way, right? I'm a good person. I've been living a good life. I'm making a positive difference in the lives of those around me. I'm serving you, Lord. Then why am I experiencing such trouble and such heartache? Don't you care? Don't you love me? Here I am just trying to serve you, my neighbor. Ever feel that way? We only set ourselves up for disappointment and heartache when we harbor the illusion that we are somehow entitled to a better life because we are good people. And there is that sense. We're entitled. We are good people. We don't deserve hardship in our life. But of course, life does not come with guarantees of an easy, trouble-free life. Into each life, some rain must fall, as the saying goes. And certainly the followers of Jesus are not immune from life's harsh realities. Ask the Apostle Paul. Now, we can't necessarily control what happens to us, right? Sometimes life just happens. Bad things happen. But we can control our attitudes, and our reactions. In fact, I think people can tell more about our faith from the way that we react than the way we act. When we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis or of some terrible predicament, our reaction tells much about who we are and whose we are. And when our attitudes in adversity honor God, then that could be a powerful testimony to others. And in this, Paul is a model for us because in his letter to the Philippians, you don't find one word of complaint. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. There is not a note of bitterness or despair. No, Paul is, is uh, 
positive and upbeat and confident and even joyful. So that in spite of his chains, in spite of the horrible circumstances of his lives, he can say, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Which seems weird to us, right? Because how can there be joy when the circumstances of our lives are so cruddy? It's important to understand the distinction between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent upon the outward circumstances of our lives. Therefore, happiness comes and goes. Happiness can disappear with the next telephone call. A loved one dies, your doctor gives you bad news, your car needs expensive repairs, your broker says that your investment has gone south. There goes your happiness. And I'm sure the Apostle Paul would say that he was not particularly happy being in prison. But joy is different. It goes much deeper than that. Circumstances cannot take it away. So Paul can say, rejoice again. I say rejoice. Even though he's in chains in prison, he can sing joyfully in prison at midnight in some Philippian jail. Joy is able to transcend trouble, leaps over the walls of our circumstances, and can carry us even through death itself. And the source of our joy and our confidence is none other than the abiding presence of Christ in our lives. It comes from knowing that He will take care of us no matter what. He will not abandon us in the worst of circumstances. It's knowing that absolutely nothing in life, not even death itself, has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. And so Paul actually in his letter to the Romans, can say, and this is, this is my favorite verse in the Bible, if I, have, I guess I have a life verse, I guess this one would be it, where Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you know that, then there is no need to be afraid. That changes our whole outlook on life. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He's got us in his grip. He's not going to let us go because he loves us. Paul did not know the future. And he knew, as I say, he, that he might well be executed. And yet Paul could have joy and confidence of knowing that whether he lived or died, he belonged to the Lord. He could count on the Lord's provision, his providence, his presence. The Lord would see him through no matter what. For me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is, even, is, is only gain. Now followers of Jesus, down through the ages, have discovered the same kind of joy and confidence even in great adversity. One early saint and martyr of the church could testify, I love these words, he says, In a dark hole I found cheerfulness. In a place of bitterness and death I found rest. While others weep I found laughter. Where others fear I have found strength. 
Who would believe that in a state of misery I have had great pleasure? That in a lonely corner I have had glorious company, and in the hardest bonds perfect repose? All these things Jesus has granted me. He's with me, comforts me, fills me with joy. He drives bitterness from me and fills me with strength and consolation. The Apostle Paul could have said that. Not only did Paul find joy in the Lord's abiding presence, but in the realization that the Lord was using his adversity to advance the gospel. In fact, he could hardly wait to to share the good news. You won't believe this, you guys, but I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul realized that his adversity was being used by God to advance the gospel. It was a remarkable opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with the Praetorian Guard, no less. What a gift. So one by one, those elite soldiers, you know, the pick of the empire, were brought to Paul and chained to him so that they couldn't get away for six hours. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for six hours? Six hours of gospel sharing. That much time with the Apostle Paul, they didn't stand a chance. They heard about Jesus and then some. Paul, for, uh, actually, I mean, ironically, his guards were a captive audience. <laughs> Paul was free in his spirit. And, uh, and here were these guards captive to him, that they might become captive to the word of God. Well, the guards, the uh, Praetorian guard, were well aware of the gospel of Caesar, right? Uh, this was, uh, this was the, uh, the thing about Rome. That uh, good news resided in the, in the Caesar. The good news was that Caesar was Lord and Savior and that he was the author of justice and the bestower of peace. But now from the lips of the Apostle Paul, these soldiers heard another gospel, the gospel about Jesus Christ. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and he shall be, be the Prince of Peace and his reign shall last forever and ever. And this Jesus is the one and only Savior and Lord of the world and of life itself. And that he is the bestower of eternal life, new life now, as well as life beyond the grave. It's that gospel, the gospel about Jesus, that can truly transform lives. And undoubtedly, many of those guards that have been chained to Paul went out from him, went out from his cell as changed men. It's interesting to note that at the very end of his letter to the Philippians, he writes, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Ah, apparently there in the very heart of Caesar's palace, there were those who become followers of Jesus, no doubt because of Paul's testimony in prison. No wonder Paul was encouraged. 
His adversity served to advance the gospel. God was bringing good things out of his adversity. Not only that, but Paul's joy and confidence in prison had encouraged him and emboldened his fellow Christians to be more courageous in witnessing to Jesus as well. I mean, they were looking at the way that Paul was suffering for the gospel. You know, he was in chains, and yet he, he thought that that was worth everything in his life to, to, to give testimony to Jesus, and that was a model for other Christians. It made them bold too. We'll be courageous like the Apostle Paul. In fact, he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. God bringing good out of adversity, bringing goodness out of the worst of circumstances. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans of what he himself had discovered. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, in the middle of adversity, you know, when life caves in on us, find ourselves in a lot of hardship, it's often hard to imagine how good can come out of it, right? It's often only in hindsight, in, in hindsight that we can look back to see how God was at work. And how God was indeed bringing good out of that particular experience. How it did indeed benefit us or benefited those around us. Do you remember Joseph? Beginning of the Bible. His brother sold him into slavery to get rid of him. They didn't like him. And so they, you know, they throw him into a pit. or they, they Actually, they sell him to slave traders. And they say, finally, we're done with him. Goodbye, good riddance. And then that led poor Joseph into one bad experience after another. You know, he ended up in jail and so on. And I'm sure Joseph prayed to God, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I'm a good person. Why am I experiencing such heartache and hardship in my life? But according to the story in the end, remember, Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and he saves his brothers. And he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. God can bring good out of the worst experiences of life. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God is able to turn adversity to our advantage, as he did for the Apostle Paul. Sometimes painful experiences can drive us closer to God and closer to others. Adversity can shape our character in positive ways so that adversity builds in us uh, endurance and perseverance. Adversity can make us more compassionate towards others who are suffering. Adversity can lead to the closing of doors in our lives, which may be painful, so that new doors of opportunity can happen. When we are going through trying times, we don't see the whole picture oftentimes. And it may not be at all clear what God is up to. We can't imagine how God can bring any good out of it. And it's very easy for us to give way to discouragement and throw up our hands in despair. But Paul is writing to us, to you and to me. 
and to tell us of what he knows, that you and I are in the hands of a gracious God who promises never to leave us or to forsake us, and that the same God who strengthened and comforted and brought joy to Paul can bring strength and comfort and joy to you and to me. Like Paul, we can experience joy even in the toughest times because we know we belong to Jesus Christ and he loves us with a love that will never let us go. And that he can work all things together for good to those who love him. Now, long before the Apostle Paul, there was a fellow by the name of Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet. And he struggled with the whole question of where God could possibly be in adversity. And Habakkuk um, looked around him, looked at the state of God's people, and all he could see were, uh, was injustice and violence and destruction and famine in the land and he was shaking his fist at God and he but he and but he said to to the Lord how long O Lord must I call for help but you don't listen I mean he was angry right how can God's people be treated like this how could they experience such things and he was he was sorely tempted to give in to despair but he worked through his his feelings and his thoughts and in the end, even though he didn't have the foggiest idea of what God was up to, even though he didn't have the whole picture, he chose to trust God. And so he could say, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Indeed, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So there's cause for joy even in the midst of adversity. And I don't know if you're going through tough times right now. We will. Or <laughs> comes to all of us one time or another. Maybe some rain is falling right now in your life. Maybe it's not just a rain, but it's a torrent. It's a storm. Then in such moments, hold on to God in faith. Trust Him. You belong to Him. And he will not let you go. God knows what God is doing with our lives. The sovereign Lord is our joy and our strength. Lean on him against all alarms, right? Lean in to him. To him be the glory. Let's pray together. Lord, you didn't even spare the Apostle Paul who was busy about the work of your kingdom, a guy who was living for you, and yet he experienced such hardship because of it. It's hard to figure it out. And yet, Lord, Paul models for us what it is to live in faith and trust. Help each of us to know that deep down, 
we belong to you. And you will not allow one of your precious ones to perish. Lord, help us to look to you in times of adversity, to find our joy and our strength in you. And to realize that even that bad experience can be used to further your gospel and to um, further your purpose for our, our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.